In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The brevity of Mark's account of the temptation is quite curious. It is by far the shortest account in all of the Gospel texts. Mark only says that after Jesus' baptism, the Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. It's two verses, and that's it. You're done. This is especially curious because, as we noted a few weeks back, one of the major themes of Mark's gospel is Jesus' battle with the devil and his demons. So why so brief? Perhaps it is what Polonius said so well in Shakespeare's Hamlet. Brevity is the soul of wit. Matthew and Luke, by their extended accounts of the temptation, communicate much that is important for the Christian to know. But perhaps by his brevity, Mark communicates something equally important and also equally profound. In the temptation of our Lord, the outcome of our Lord's battle with the devil in the desert was predetermined. The devil could not win. He could not trick Jesus into sinning. It was an impossibility. And thus, Jesus going toe-to-toe with that ancient dragon is almost a side note. In this, the second Adam, Christ, is unlike the first. The first Adam could sin, and he did sin, but not Jesus. He could not sin because his humanity never existed apart from his divinity. And his divinity penetrated all of his humanity. This is the personal union. The divine eternal logos and the man Jesus are exactly identified. They are one person. So it was not a close fight. There, the angels in heaven were not sitting uh, with their, uh, on the edges of their seats, biting their nails, wondering what the outcome of this battle was going to be. Jesus was clearly the stronger being. There was war in heaven, and the devil had no chance. And so he brought his war to the earth, and he had no chance here either. The battle in the desert between man and the devil was not a fair fight. It was one that the devil could not win. But before that battle, if you recall, there was a bit of treachery in the garden. The devil, knowing that he could not win the war in heaven, did precisely that. He took the war to earth and he sought allies in the very crown of God's creation. Adam had all that he needed to fend off the devil. He was not hungry. He was not thirsty. The sun did not even strike his eyes, the glare. But more than that, he had God's word and he had God's promise. He had fellowship with the Holy Trinity and he had a loving wife, a helpmeet, the greatest gift of all creation that God had given to him, who made creation finally good. But Adam failed to protect and provide for that wife. He failed to love the triune God and he failed to listen to God's word. He failed to listen to God's word, and instead he decided that he would like to know what evil 
what it was like to know evil, to experience it. And so he signed up for the devil's army. He joined our cause to that of the race of the demons. He thought this would make him like God, but of course it didn't. It made him like the devil. And the devil can't win. The devil has no power against God, and neither then does Adam. And he found himself apart from God, being destined for the, by weakness to death, at war not only with God, but with all of creation. And so Adam couldn't even fully love his wife anymore. She wasn't fully his helpmeet anymore. She was his enemy, something all married couples know all too well when there is division within the marital union. He couldn't enjoy any food in the garden, nor his own body. To be at enmity with God is to be at enmity with oneself and the rest of creation, again, as far too many people know. But a strange thing happened, and that is that God did not destroy Adam and Eve. He did not just start over. He did not declare himself to be at war with Adam, even though Adam had declared himself to be at war with God. Nor, nor did he allow Adam and Eve to remain on the devil's side of that war. He came seeking him. They had changed, but God, who does not change, did not. He still loved them and still wanted them to have dominion over the earth, even in their fallenness. So God decided that he would uh, battle not against them, but instead he would battle for them and reconcile themselves to him. Adam hid for fear when God entered the garden that morning, but he hadn't come. He thought God had come to destroy him, but he had come to talk to him and to talk to uh, him in order to reconcile him to himself. God would not let the devil win. He would win back that which was his by right. He would pay the double price, and thus he did place enmity between Adam and the devil. He made us and the demons the most bitter of rivals. And in Christ, he made himself Adam's kinsman, his advocate and his redeemer. As the devil had sought to get Adam to join his cause, so the Lord joined Adam's cause. And much like Adam became like Satan, so in Christ God became like Adam. He would bear Adam's shame and Adam's sorrow and Adam's death, so that in him Adam would become like God, knowing good and evil in a way that not even the holy angels do. For Adam would be the beneficiary of the greatest gift, forgiveness and reconciliation. Thus did God place enmity between humanity and hell. He who was all holy was declared guilty. He who was immortal died for this cause. And he who is life rose again to shatter the gates of hell and open the way to heaven. A new heaven, a new earth, a new intimacy with God and man making us more than we were in the garden, more than lords of creation, making us even his own dear bride. That is why Jesus suffered in the desert. And don't imagine that it was easy because Jesus couldn't sin. It was a real temptation and actually 
quite a bit more difficult and more painful than what we endure because he couldn't sin. We are still infected with Adam's inherited guilt. We still remember when we thought that Satan might be our friend. We know no such thing as temptation without pleasure, right? Something is tempting because we desire it. You don't look at a smashed up piece of uh, pie on the ground that is covered in mold and say that is very tempting. No, we are only tempted by we are only tempted by that which is attractive to us. But for Jesus, it is different because he is pure as his father is pure. He has no guilt. He has no malice. He is not selfish or concerned with his own pleasure. He is not trying to get a good deal or keep himself from being taken advantage of or cheated. He is here to suffer, and he is here to crush the devil's head. He does not participate in the devil's propositions. He doesn't imagine what it would be like to have the angels sweep him off his feet and to prove that he is the Son of God, because he has nothing to prove. He only has things to suffer. And that actually makes it worse than when we endure temptation. We experience the pleasure of temptation. He suffers the shame of those things without any pleasure or expectation of reward. He is hungry and tired and denies himself the full use of his divine attributes and his divine rights for the purpose of being hurt and being shamed. So, the devil cannot win, but neither can he help himself. He knows, as we have discussed before, at some level that he is going to lose, that the Lord is fulfilling his promises. But the devil has no joy in the war, no satisfaction when Adam falls or we are, when we succumb to our temptations. He thinks that he will, but he never does. When we are tempted by pleasure, we are tempted by the corruption of something good. The devil is driven not by a pursuit of pleasure, for there is nothing good for him, but simply by hatred. He is a pitiful creature. He hates God and he hates us. He is at enmity with you. He, wanted to drag, he wants to drag us down with him and make us pitiful like him. Why? Perhaps because he is jealous. And of course that jealousy is a thousandfold more now that Christ has become one of us. He can't win, but neither can he resist. He gets the chance to hurt God, and he takes it. It is useless and vain for his purpose. It is counterproductive. He actually is assisting the Lord in carrying out his plan of salvation and moving forward our glory by afflicting the Lord with the sorrows and sufferings that we deserved. He brings about the salvation of the world. Thus, the tempter is tempted, trapped by his own lust, slaved, enslaved by his own passions. And like a man blind with rage, he bashes his head against a stone, against Jesus, the rock of our salvation. And he is crushed. Jesus, when tempted, could not fail. But the devil gives, gives in every single time. The outcome of the battle was never in doubt because God's love for you was never in doubt. His temptation and victory over the devil counts for us. We are spared because he was damned. We are counted holy because he did not sin. 
and we will rise again to life because he has burst the doors of death's prison and opened heaven. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The ushers may come forward to receive the offering. <clears throat>